0: Paul is chained. Oh, we've heard that for nine weeks in a row. We get it. (laughs) We do. The dude is chained. It's near the end of his life. And he writes to this Philippian group of believers, and this guy rejoices. He is happy. He sees God working. God's strategy was simple. I need to get the word out to all of the Praetorian guard, to the elite Roman soldiers. I got it. Paul, he's, he's my man. He's the best spokesman I have. I got it. Every few hours, new soldiers. Every few hours, he gets to tell the gospel. And the Roman Empire began to change. Paul's intensity and passion seems to grow as he goes deeper in this letter to the Philippians. Our text last week was critical in Paul's thinking as he spoke about what actually is valuable and what isn't valuable. In fact, valuable for Paul was totally redefined when he met Jesus. That's a question. When you met Jesus, if you met Jesus, when you recognized all that he did for you, that he shed his blood, that he paid the debt for our sin, and you trusted him as your savior, as your rescuer, when that happened, the Bible says you become a brand new creature. But not only that, everything changes. Your priorities change the way that you live, the things that are important or, as Paul put it, valuable. And it changed for the apostle. Now, he had been speaking about all of his accomplishments and all of his successes before meeting Jesus. But last week, in that first part of chapter 3, we saw that... All the things that Paul did, well, they're considered garbage. It's not important in light of the kingdom. Life to Paul was about knowing Christ and experiencing Christ's power and to actually suffer like Christ did. A very different perspective. But this is the perspective of all those who are growing towards spiritual maturity. Paul understands that spiritually mature people have these same desires. So actually in our text today, he's going to encourage the Philippian believers to grow. And he uses a race to help illustrate the process. So if you could turn your Bibles or your screens to Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to start reading at verse 12. You can follow along up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. So Paul continues saying this. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. these things. if you mark your Bibles, you could probably draw an arrow back up to verse 10. That's what he's talking about. Or that I've already reached perfection. Or again, we'll talk about this as probably a better way, maturity. But Paul says, I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. And learn from those who follow our example for I have told you often before and I say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct show that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ they are heading for destruction their god is their appetite they brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Before we dig in, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we are excited to be able to hear from you today. We are so grateful that we can gather and we can praise and we can worship. We can come boldly into your throne room as I am right now, just praying and talking to you, creator God. And we are so grateful for the privileges and for the honor. And we're overwhelmed at times, but thank you. We thank you, Father, that you are king and that you are in control. And we pray for the world that seems chaotic and a world that seems to be running from you, not running toward you. We know that there are wars and that there are sicknesses and there are funerals every day. We know that we have families whose kids are running away. We know, Father, that there are marriages where abuse happens all the time. We understand that people are working every day in jobs that, well, some of them hate. God, we ask you to be able to walk with us. Allow us to hear from you clearly. May we be salt and light in this world, making a difference wherever you send us. And would we trust you in spite of circumstances like the apostle did, recognizing that you are going to do your perfect thing in your perfect timing. Father, we pray for other churches that are in this area, other churches that are part of our denomination. There are many others out there, Father, and we pray for all churches that are proclaiming your gospel. But today we pray for redemption, and we pray for Meadowland, and we pray for Northbridge. We ask you, Father, that you would strengthen those bodies. And that you would receive honor and glory as all of us together as part of your kids infiltrate the world. Father, we pray for our church. We know, God, there are so many things that are going on, so many distractions, so many opportunities for us to be distracted. I pray even now for the workers downstairs Lord, I know that you have blessed us and given us children. Young families are attending here. God, I pray that you would raise up workers. I pray, dear God, that we would be able to care for our kids well. I pray, Lord, that you would bring about folks who would take care of our kids faithfully and carefully. Thank you for those who are doing that, even this moment. I pray, dear Father, that you would be with a new ministry that's starting up called Grief Share. Lord, so many times death (laughs) just um, rearranges our lives. We at times question you. We question the scenarios. We wonder And even starting over after a loved one passes, it's hard. I thank you, Father, that we will be able to serve and care for those who have suffered loss. And we pray for this ministry, and we pray for the directors, and we pray, Father, that you would use your people to care for your people. God, we're excited to open up this book There's so many things in these next few verses, and we would just ask today, God, that you would speak clearly, that your spirit would be abundantly active, and that each one of us would leave convicted and encouraged. We ask this, God, in your name, amen, amen. Today, our text is about spiritual maturity. We mature spiritually as we become more intimate with Jesus. As we listen and respond to our Lord, our precious Lord, our gracious God, he changes us from the inside out so that we reflect him better. We mirror him in our world. I think in our text today, Paul gives us four bridges we have to cross as we run our marathon towards spiritual maturity. Well, it's just like this, really, is that every one of us want to grow up quickly when you're 10, 11, or 12. When you're 60, 70, 80, you're going, I don't want to grow up so quickly. All right? But realistically, what happens, at happens in our Christian lives so much. We come to faith. We may even read about great saints, those that have gone before us, those who have made an impact in our world. And we want to be like them, or we would like to be like some of the biblical heroes, or, or we want to grow quickly, and we want to be able to have faith that will move mountains. And what we're going to find today that... That these are great desires, but the truth is, is that this really takes a lifetime, and that's what we're going to encourage you today. That's why a marathon is actually a good way to look at it. This this race is not for the faint-hearted. This race is something that actually involves training. Hopefully, at the end of this message, you will feel encouraged and convicted, not condemned. My prayer is this, as I thought about the text, is that you or I don't adapt a passive attitude about the Christian life. Okay, I'm a son of God. (sighs) What difference does it make? Do I have an assignment? Does it matter much? I just go to church on Sundays and kind of live my life anyway that I really choose to do. You see, growth in likeness isn't a casual stroll. In fact, the word often uses disciplined, athletic imagery to describe the effect and the effort in growing in Christ. So picture yourself running on this marathon, this race. And as you go over the course, there are going to be four bridges. Bridges that will help you, catapult you toward spiritual maturity. And I want to stop there because some of you may even have images in your mind saying, spiritually mature? What does that mean? Is it kind of like I become a monk I wear like, you know, drab clothes and and walk around with my hands folded all the time. No. No, I, maybe, (laughs) I guess I can't say it it won't happen, but realistically, that's probably not what's going to happen. It isn't. So we're, we're running, and bridge number one is humbly acknowledge that you haven't arrived. In other words, you're not perfect. Philippians chapter 3. I'm just going to read starting in verse 12 to 14 once again. And this is Paul. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection or maturity, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Third time he said that. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Three times Paul uses his own journey to correct any misunderstanding that the Philippians may have about spiritual maturity. Paul just shared his passion, but states very clearly, I've not arrived. I want to know Christ better. I want to experience his power and authority over sin. I want to be able to suffer well with him. It causes me to depend on him differently. But I haven't arrived. I haven't received all of those things. I'm not at the place where I really want to be yet. He's straining, though, ahead to something that he mentions as eternity, something Dave mentioned, something about a resurrected eternal body. I think as a leader, Paul also wants him to know that he's on the exact same journey as they are becoming more like Jesus. It's about following Jesus and bringing others along on the journey, in fact, That's what's called disciple-making, learning who Jesus is and helping others know who Jesus is so they might obey and love and serve so they can help others know Jesus. And the cycle goes on and on and on. You see, your view of other runners will change if you realize that everyone is on this spiritual journey and that everyone is at different different stages of maturity. Some are going to be behind you and others in front of you. But everyone is running. Everyone is running. You know, the truth is, as we look even at this metaphor, some of the things we struggle with are not so much the runners, those who are actively pursuing spiritual maturity. It's those that seem to be sitting on the sideline. Second bridge that you're going to come to is passionately pursuing a greater knowledge of Jesus. Passionately pursuing. You know, Paul presses on to finish the race and receive the prize. But the question is this, what is the prize? Well, based on the context, and I gave you a little bit of hint right in the beginning, it's a fuller knowledge of Christ and experiencing his power and suffering. It's sort of good now, but really good later. In other words, walking with God... And understanding who God is and getting to know God better over and over and every day gives you power and authority to live life. But but realistically, life is hard right now. The journey is difficult at times, filled with questions and detours. But someday, if you know Jesus, when you shut your eyes, (laughs) you don't die. You go right into God's presence. And eternity starts for you. And then all of a sudden, for the very first time, you get to experience all that Jesus is in a perfect environment. Wow. So Paul says he presses on and on and on and on. That's the context. He doesn't stop pressing on, knowing Christ more and more and more. And in knowing him more, Paul says he becomes more like him. And this is a lifetime pursuit. I press on means to run or to follow after. It speaks literally of an aggressive, energetic endeavor. Paul is pers- or Paul pursued the spiritual prize with all of his might, straining with every spiritual muscle as he ran to win. Jesus has called us and empowered us to get the prize. Now, earlier in this text, Paul uses the same word and says he also presses on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Whoa, that's a challenging translation. You you can look at a lot of different translations and and trying to figure out how to put all those Greek words together and try to make sense for us. And and I'm going to try to do that. But Paul's goal is to keep pressing on, to strain, to possess, or to grab, or to seize, or to catch. Paul was running hard spiritually after Christ's goal for him. Which, by the way, is the same goal for us. And Christ's goal for Paul and Christ's goal for us is found in Romans chapter 8 verse 29 where Paul writes to the Romans that being conformed to his image is God's goal. That we reflect him more and more, better and better, that we mirror God to others. You see, God chose Paul, as he did all believers, to make them like Jesus Christ. Whether you know it or not, whether it's the very first time you came and sat down here. The scriptures tell us that if you are born again, if you know the Lord Jesus that he is chipping away the things that don't reflect him well. And God says his goal for you and for me is that we would reflect our God well. The Christian life is a lifelong pursuit of Christ-likeness. You know, I love actually the New Century Version the translation here, and I'd like to read it for you in chapter 3, verse 12. And and I think they, the translators here, have captured, I think, what Paul wants us to hear. I do not mean that I am already as God wants me to be, Paul says. I have not reached that goal, but I continue trying to reach it and make it mine. Christ wants me to do that, for which is the reason he made me his. I'd like to read some other places that um, the scriptures try to help us understand a little bit. In in First Corinthians chapter nine, I'm gonna start reading in verse twenty-four. Paul actually is the author here again, and he says this. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run, Paul says, with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, I'm just going to read the first two verses there. The author of Hebrews, again, uses a race to help us understand about life. He says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, kind of in this arena, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run, run this race with endurance, the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The race. How do we do it? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now now that's passion. Running, exercising self-control. Not running aimlessly. Not boxing in the air. But focusing on the goal. Then the writer of Hebrews, in a book that emphasizes Christian perseverance, speaks of laying aside anything that does not help us run the race, but fix our eyes on Jesus, spend time with Jesus, focus on Jesus, learn from Jesus. That is the only way you're going to be able to finish this race. Consider Paul's running image closely. A passionate run involves forgetting and looking forward. Both are essential for running a good race, and both are essential for spiritual maturity. Now, forgetting the past means literally not to recall or to neglect or to overlook or to care nothing about the past. In other words, don't let the track behind you affect you in this race. Every good runner knows that you can't look over your shoulder or you get distracted or you stumble or you lose momentum. You have to forget what is behind. This means literally that a runner will not allow either past achievements or past failures to prevent him from finishing. In fact, I like how one of my commentators put it. He said this, in this sense, a good runner forgets as he runs. So follow Paul's lead and forget the failures, the achievements, and run. Now, some of you may have a tough past. Maybe there's been some extreme failures in your life. And and you almost wonder, like, how? How How can I run? I I, I, I mean, does God really forgive me? i got to remind you this. The guy who's writing this is the Apostle Paul. And we know so many of his accomplishments. We just read them last week. But what about his failures? Think about it. Think about how many families were destroyed by Saul. That was Paul's name before he met Jesus. How many people he put in prison. How many people he murdered in the name of God. Can you imagine just about anywhere he went My guess is there was a family or a situation or someone around that was affected by Paul's failures before. So one of the greatest of all missionaries says, hey, you know what? I know about failure. I know about looking at Jesus and running the race. And I need to forget the past. Now the word here translated looking forward is a vivid athletic term. It means that the athlete throws himself forward in the race with all the energies strained to the limit. And and you've seen this. You've seen especially in Olympic competition. When that race is close especially, they will do everything to cross the tape. That's an old fashioned term now, right? There's no tape. It's that laser, laser line, or whatever it is, you know. And who finishes? The one that lunges, the one that competes. Paul is saying this you look forward. And looking forward is fixing your eyes on Jesus, making this relationship a priority, trusting God for strength and wisdom and perspective for your life, listening to Jesus for the direction and for the pace. That's why it's so important to have a relationship, period. Otherwise, you do life on your own. You don't have guidance. You don't have strength. You don't have perspective. You do the best you can. And I'm telling you, when I do the best I can, it doesn't look pretty. I need my Savior. Yeah. So focusing on the past sidelines you, and I think the enemy wins. The enemy wins. But fixing your eyes on Jesus, looking forward, that is what our goal is. So Paul calls for one action. Now if you're reading this, it doesn't seem like one action. It seems like forgetting the past and then focusing forward. But, it, but it's really weird, at least in Paul's racing career. It, it's one action. You don't do this, but you do this. Now negatively stated... There are other things that could impede a runner. As we read in Hebrews chapter 12, sin and even other actions, maybe even good things, just not best things. The question we have to ask ourselves, a question I think David asked in Psalm 139, said, Lord, search me, search me. Help me reveal, help me see my blind spots. If there's anything in me, anything wicked, anything that's destroying my relationship, anything that's weighing me down, any kind of weights, God, reveal it to me. Now, sometimes when we rebel against God, we don't need to pray that because uh, we know. We know. But there are other times that we need to pray that prayer. And my question is, what sin or habit or activity do you need to throw off in order to run the race better, in order to fix your eyes on Jesus better? in order not to slow you down. If you're running a marathon in a snowmobile suit, let me tell you, it's bad. Bad. Take off the suit. If you have clothes on, take off the suit. All right? But you you have to understand that a race involves us to strip down the best we can so that we might be free to run like the wind. Now positively, here's another question. What could you do or begin doing that will help you run the race? These are great discussions for around lunch today. Now, don't underestimate the power of making one change. Change in one area in your life can absolutely affect every area in your lives. Now, I don't know about all the things that Tom Brady... Um, does in his life, good things or bad things. But if you just purely look at Tom Brady as a football player, as a really old football player, that seems to be really, really successful. All right. When he says something about, well, physical health, I kind of listen. And I remember one article, it was kind of a goofy article, I think. And, and um, he was asked this, Well, how do you attribute, you know, how can you handle all this? You are so old, basically, and you're still out there every Sunday. And he, he made this statement, he goes, I drink more water than you can ever imagine. Now, my wife has been telling me to drink water for a long time. All right? Like, Rick, forget the coffee and drink the water. All right? Tom Brady says, drink more water. I'm thinking that's probably a good thing. All right? Uh, so all of a sudden I'm drinking water. All of it, you know, there's some other effects that, that happen. But I take it that this is really, really, really good. And now I'm going to play football next year. And I'm excited about that. Okay, but here 's another thing. What about getting up fifteen minutes early every day? Oh no 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 man fifteen I got fifty ah man, I can are you serious? yeah, I am Do you realize getting up fifteen minutes early or you put the time, and you start your day off hearing from God and recalibrating your life. Do you realize what difference that's going to make? And do you honestly think 15 minutes more of that kind of non-REM sleep is really going to do you any good? Okay, do do you really think that? Oh boy, I'm going to feel better if I stay in 15 more minutes. No. I'll let you know. No, no, it doesn't, doesn't work. So here's something that will change everything that day. As you start off with your Lord. How cool is that? Maybe you need to get up 30 minutes. I don't know. But the whole deal is this. Is that little things like this. Little choices. Make a huge difference. Hold on. Acknowledge the progress we have made. That's what Paul says. But we must hold on to the progress. As you're running. Sometimes it doesn't look like you're doing that well. Sometimes you... Well, the scriptures also tell us that we need to encourage one another on the race. We need to spur one another on the race. And it's so amazing to be able to pump other people's tires when they think they're failing or when they think, and, and maybe they are in some ways, but realistically, keep going. Keep running. You may not see the fruit right now. I know this is a big hill coming up. Come on, you can do this. You can do this. God's plan is progress. It's growth. We are perfect or mature when we eventually see Jesus. I think the marathon idea works well. But you know, um, I think what works better as we describe life is the Tour de France. All right? Now, You may not know much about it, and I really don't know much about it, other than it's 21 stages. It's 23 days long. And these folks ride bikes that long. But you should see their team they're with them. They're pumping their tires, literally, encouraging them, making sure they have rest, making sure that they don't have a flat tire or if there's any kind of an impediment or whatever. They're there. They're there. They're there. 21 straight days. Come on. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. I think that's life. I do. I can't imagine riding a bike for or 23 days. I, I, I can't. Maybe someday, if I drink more water. All right. Bridge three. Follow cross-centered, heavenly-minded examples. Oh, Some of you might be worried if you're looking at your watch, and you said four bridges, and we're at bridge three, and you've got two minutes left, Rick. Uh, I'll speed it up just a little bit. Okay, but look at verses 17, 18, and 19. All right, this is what Paul writes. Dear brothers and sisters, pat in your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before and say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about life here on earth. I think what Paul is saying is whom you follow matters. Whom you hang out matters. The book of Philippians has struck this theme of imitation several times. Paul uses Jesus ultimately in Philippians chapter 2, if you're with us. But he also uses later on in that chapter Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, right here, Paul encourages believers to adopt his outlook, his values for growing in spiritual maturity. I just need to ask you who's your hero? Who's your spiritual hero? Well, I got to tell you, Joseph usually always wins hands down. But the guy that really inspires me, well, his name is Caleb. He's 85 years old. And in Joshua 14... If you read this and the children of Israel are now possessing the land and they are moving forward and Joshua and Caleb are the only two that lasted for the 40 years in the desert because they followed God wholeheartedly joshua's now the leader joshua's distributing all the land this 85 year old caleb comes up and says josh yeah caleb i want that mountain i want that hilly country that hilly country is filled with giants and walled cities and oh baby i've seen god work let me go That's what I want. Oh, my word. The Lord's with me. I will drive them out. When I read that, this isn't a man coasting out his dying days. He's faithfully following God with his whole heart and zealously living his life with vibrant faith in God. There are faithful examples maybe around you. Maybe folks that you know who sacrificially put the needs of others ahead of their own. They don't grumble or complain. They pour out their lives for the cause of the gospel. That Christianity is not just something you do one day a week, but it changes your life. You see, godly heroes are extremely valuable in marriage. Hey, Let me remind you, not scare you, but doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not, about 50% of marriages today end in divorce. So that's not God's plan. I'm not here to beat up anyone that went down that trail. But the truth is this. Maybe there's someone sitting right here you know about or you want to know of someone like that I can share with you who've been married 30 or 35 or 40 or 45 years and still love that person like crazy and still love the Lord. You know what I'd say? Buy him dinner. Take him out and listen to him. That's what I would say. What about life? What about losing your job? What about, hey, are there people who have done this that you can learn from who have walked with God? What about parenting? Oh, my word. Parenting. Do we need wisdom here? How about talking to some parents who have walked with God and have, you know, 30 or 40 kids or less? I'm dinner. See what they do. This is us using people who have been captured by Christ, his cross, his, his resurrection. But Paul does mention some Christians in the church that never talk about the cross. They set their minds on earthly things and focus on satisfying their lustful appetites. Paul actually says that it should grieve you. It should break your heart. And I think it breaks your heart so that you pray for them. Now lastly, the, the last bridge. It's found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But bridge number 4 is live in light of your true citizenship. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Paul concludes by reminding the Philippians and I by reminding you Of the heavenly mindset that all of us should possess. People walking and growing in maturity realize that this world is not your home and that your citizenship is in heaven. Paul reminded us that in chapter 1, verse 27. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And there's one line in in that book that just captures me. He says this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this World, You know, I remember growing up, and and I don't know if this was my um, older Sunday school teacher um, that was sometimes very harsh to little Ricky. Um, But I remember this. I remember this. She would say, don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. Have you ever heard that before? And I just asked this question. I have never met anyone like that. That's all. When I meet heavenly minded people, I meet people who are focused. I meet people who who desire deeply to please the Lord. They know that they're going to be seeing Him soon. I don't see that other part. We have all had the opportunity of giving the world a glimpse of what's coming in the future. We tell them about the king and show them about what living under the king's authority actually looks like. When you see people taking care of the vulnerable, encouraging one another, honoring and respecting one another, showing no partiality or racism, doing what is good and right and pure by putting other people's needs first, you would say, this smells like heaven. Our neighbors might say, You aren't from around here, are you? Not because you talk funny with some weird accent, or I don't know, but as they get to know you, you might smile and say, You know, my citizenship is in heaven. I am just passing through. The things that so many people are focusing on, I'm not. It's different. Believers do have a bright future. They are going to experience changed bodies. They will get reward. They will be honored. They will. Our future should motivate us, assure us, encourage us, purify us, and center us on what's the most important thing while preparing us for Eternity. Let me wrap up. So Paul says this. Let all the spiritually mature agree on this. Those who are spiritually mature. The race is important. But not everybody runs and not everybody finishes well. They they don't. Paul is saying this. I've lived life. I've accomplished much. But the most important thing is me to run with my eyes fixed on Jesus. This race is going to take me 30 years, 50 years, 70 years, 85 years. But I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. Jesus. I need to learn from him. I, I need to be able to encourage others on this journey. So my question is this. If you're not running, run. And if you are running the race, let's cross the bridges together. And keep our eyes on Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please, at this moment? During our time in Philippians, I've, I've asked, maybe today God has convicted you. Maybe he's pumped your tires. Maybe he's encouraged you. Maybe he's helped you focus. Maybe there's some decision that you have decided to make by God's strength. If God is working in your heart today, I'd like you to stand. Because I'd like to pray for you. I'm standing. I'm standing not because I'm standing. I'm standing because I can't even begin to tell you how convicted that God is working in my heart. But if he is, if he is working in your heart right now, if you are making some decisions right now, would you stand? Would you stand? Father, it's hard to read these words from your word and not recognize how much you care about us and love us and that you have given us the privilege of walking with you and running the marathon of life. God, help us fix our eyes on you. Help us understand, Lord, that you desire deeply to change us so that we might be able to mirror you to others. God, we thank you for Paul and his example. But I also want to say thank you for the many others that have been in my life and in our lives that have showed us how to love you well and how to keep running. Father, I pray in particular for every one of these folks who are standing, folks who are making decisions, folks who are listening to your Spirit, folks who are responding and see that your word is powerful. I would ask even now, God, that you would encourage their hearts. Would you sit down now? Now, Father, as we continue to worship, as we continue to focus, send us out. Encourage us. Continue to convict us. Help us repent often and fully. And would your name be lifted up and glorified wherever we go. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.